Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George. That's my co-host and the newest Great Day SA intern over at Kins 5, Damian Bartonic. And today we're bringing you some more NBA draft content with special guest Ricky O'Donnell, editor and writer at SB Nation. Man, how are you doing on this fine Monday morning? I'm good. Excited for the draft. It's a busy time of the year with the finals tied 2-2 two to two as of right now when we record this Monday afternoon. And uh, the draft is a week from Thursday, so so many moving parts right now. At the end of the season, it really seems like everything just happens so fast once you get to June. So exciting time on the basketball calendar, and uh, I'm sure it's an exciting time for Spurs fans, too, with uh, three picks in the first round. Absolutely. And just before we get started, we want to let our audience know and keep them in the loop that this is going to be recorded on June 12th at about 11.01 a.m. Central Time. But we have plenty to talk about as we dive into a trio of guards that could be available right outside the lottery. More specifically, we're going to be taking a closer look at Jaden Hardy, Ryan Rollins, and Jalen Williams as the Spurs are just over a week away from the 2022 NBA draft. So let's go ahead and do the exercise that we do every single week with every single one of our guests. We're going to rank these guys three, two, and one relative to one another. We're going to start with Ricky, and then from there, we'll go ahead and break them down in that order, or as close as we can, depending on how everybody sees it. But Ricky, go ahead and let us know, relative to one another, three, two, one, these three guys. Yeah, fascinating uh, fascinating ranking between these three. It's funny because Jalen Williams and Jaden Hardy could not have more different developmental paths. <laughs> Jalen Williams was a three-year college player in the WCC. No one even knew who he was uh, unless you were like a hardcore Santa Clara fan coming into this past season. Now he's getting buzz about a potential lottery pick, likely first-rounder. Jaden Hardy, of course, has been a top-ranked high school recruit basically from the time he entered high school. So really fascinating now that I think about, uh, you know, how to compare these guys against each other. I would probably go Jalen Williams 1, Jaden Hardy 2, and Ryan Rollins 3. Uh, it, it's certainly up for debate at this point in the process, but that's, that's my initial view of these three prospects. Nice. And Dame, how do you see it? So this is, this is really interesting for me. Uh, I'm going to have probably Ryan Rollins first out of this group. Uh, and then Jaden Hardy, and then Jalen Williams. Uh, I think Ryan Rollins is going to be a really good pro, personally. Not like an all-star level player, but I think he's going to be a really solid player in the NBA. 
Awesome, and then I'm last here, so I have the same exact order that Ricky had. They're actually all next to each other on my big board. They're not necessarily similar players. They all have got unique skill sets, but I think for me it's going to go Jalen, Jaden, and then Ryan. So 18, 19, 20 on my big board. But since that kind of seems kind of close to the consensus, we'll go ahead and start with Ryan Rollins. So, Ricky, go ahead and tell us a little bit about Ryan Rollins, his strengths, maybe some areas of improvement, his fit with the Spurs, wherever you want to start, just break him down because I don't think a lot of Spurs fans probably saw much of him since he played at Toledo. Yeah, I think Rollins is one of these guys who sort of came into being an NBA prospect by really just checking a lot of statistical boxes that you look for in a guard. 2.9% steal rate this year as a sophomore at Toledo. Typically anything above 2.5 immediately catches your eye. Very good free throw shooter. 81% from the line. We haven't really seen that translate to being a knockdown three-point shooter yet, but typically good free throw percentage is a positive indicator for future development and also a 20% assist rate. So just checking those three boxes immediately, that sort of catches your eye. You dig deeper into his profile and he was a damn good player at Toledo for the last two years. Uh, you know, is he going to be an on-ball guard, an off-ball guard? I sort of think that he's going to be one of these guys who sort of does a little bit of both. Primarily in a bench role, I think that that's mostly what you're looking at from Ryan Rollins. But, you know, good size, good length, uh, can defend other guards of similar size and hopefully brings a little bit of shooting versatility as well. Uh, you know, while also having a little bit of juice off the dribble and uh, a little bit of wiggle in terms of like creating separation. So Rollins, I think go a good overall prospect and he's someone who... Uh, Really was just sort of, I don't know if I want to call him a statistical darling, but someone who just like checked a lot of the boxes statistically that you look for, for someone, uh, you know, after the lottery. Absolutely. And Dame, I know you really like him. So if you want to talk about him a little bit or you have other questions regarding Ryan Rollins, go for it, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like Rollins is, uh, is a pretty polished three level scorer right now. Uh, I, I think he'll transition to being a really good pull up shooter at the NBA level as well. I think in a bench role, of course. Uh, one thing that kind of really stood out to me, and there's something that I'm always biased towards, is when I watch guards play, I'm always biased towards guards that can like really play with pace and like they understand, you know, when to slow down, stutter, and go. And I just I really enjoy watching that, and I feel like Rollins is probably the best out of the group in terms of playing with pace, just off the bounce. Uh, I think I don't know if he'll ever be like a an, an exceptional kind of on-ball defender, but I think I've seen flashes of him as kind of like an event creator uh, as a defender. So overall, I'm really really excited like to see him play at the next level. Because I liked, I really, you know, liked what I saw. You know, I just saw a really solid kind of high floor prospect that in a bench role for, you know, a team like, you know, the Utah Jazz or the Mavericks or something like that could really be an important piece for you. So uh, I really like Ryan Rollins. And Noah, you were actually the first person that put me on to him when we had, um, I forgot who we, we had, had Corey on. Corey on. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And uh, y'all were talking about him a little bit. And once I started watching him, I was like, man, this Ryan Rollins kid can kind of hoop, so. Yeah, I, I really enjoy watching him play. Yeah, he's a smooth basketball player, really good off the dribble. I don't know I don't know if I'd go as far as, say, really polished three-level score. Obviously, as Ricky mentioned, didn't really shoot that well from three. I don't have the exact percentages in front of me. I believe it was below 30% or, like, right at 30%. And I think a lot of that had to do with, he, I mean, he self-created a lot of his own offense. I think off of standstill and catch-and-shoot numbers, they looked – a lot better. I don't have those in front of me at the moment. I can definitely pull them up on the fly here, but I think he's one of those guys that, as Ricky mentioned, if you're looking for a guy who can come off the bench, give you a little bit of spark in that regard, I think he's good. Now, as far as his fit with the Spurs, that's kind of what I want to ask about because 
I don't know that the Spurs, and again, we're talking about three guards here, so this is going to be a question for all three of them, but specifically with Rollins, where would he fit in with the Spurs? Is he a guy that you see playing year one, Ricky? Is he a guy who is a more maybe more of a long-term developmental project for them? Do they have room for him? Does it make sense for them to draft him with you know, 20, 25? How early would you even take him if you're San Antonio? You know, I think if he's on the board for their third first-round pick, is that 25? Uh, yep, 25. I think, you know, that would be pretty good value for him. I sort of view him as one of probably you know, 20 or 30 players who could go from like 25 to 40, that range uh, is going to have a lot of like fluidity. Really, it just takes one team to fall in love with a prospect and make that guy a first round pick. And Rollins, I sort of see being like right on the border of being worth a first overall, of being worth a first round grade. So I think, you know, if you could get someone like him in with your last first round pick, if you're the Spurs, that makes some sense to me. San Antonio, of course, has a lot of young guards already taking Josh Primo last year. You figure he'll probably be a bigger part of the rotation next season. Uh, still got Trey Jones there. I know Lonnie Walker's a restricted free agent. What happens with him? So kind of a lot of moving pieces in the backcourt for San Antonio. But, you know, if you could get a bench guard who can sort of either play on or off the ball, uh, be a little bit pesky defensively, I think that, like, that sort of player fits in in a lot of different teams in a lot of different contexts. So, uh, I, I view him as a late first rounder, and uh, he would for sure be a legitimate choice at number twenty five, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that that's a pretty good perspective on that. Dame, would do you do you agree with that? Would you take him any earlier than that? So yeah, and, and especially let me elaborate on what I meant by polished. Whenever I whenever like especially when I'm talking about prospects in general, uh, I really look towards like comfort. If the percentages aren't there, I kind of just look at how they how they play. If they're comfortable with the ball in their hands, they can kind of get into whatever they want to get into. And that's what, what I really meant by polished. Uh, I know, yeah, it still needs a way to go in terms of statistical numbers. Uh, but, I, I, you, know, in, you know, to that point, I would take Ryan Rollins at 25 if you're the Spurs because he offers you shot creation that isn't kind of currently present on the roster. Uh, when you look at San Antonio as a team in general, they don't r- run you know, very much isolation things that like the lowest clip in the league. But just in general, they don't have me- very many guys that can create offense for themselves and kind of bend the defense, you know, have defenses moving left and right. Uh, they don't really have guys like that. So... I think getting a guy like Ryan Rollins would actually make sense for them. Uh, he offers something that Trey Jones kind of currently doesn't ha- or won't possess probably at the next level. Uh, so I think he makes sense there. But at the same time as well, it always comes down to philosophy with the Spurs, right? It depends on how you view this roster. Like I've said it a hundred times on this show, if you want, you know, someone that's can play for you right out of the box, like I think Ryan Rollins can for you, are you going to take that at 25 or do you think you would wait till you know 38 for that, like? You know, who knows? But uh, I think Rollins does make sense for San Antonio. Yeah, I think he's a guy who could make sense for San Antonio. And and as as regards to what you were saying, polished, I do think he is pretty polished. As a mid-range prospect, especially around that left elbow area, really, really efficient there. Could get to his spots. As you mentioned, good stop and start ability, really shifty off the dribble. Uh, I think he had some really nice playmaking flashes as a pick-and-roll ball handler, being able to hit the roll man, be able to make you know, pocket passes. So I like him. He's definitely not my favorite guy out of these three guys. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, 18, 19, 20 on my big board, there's not really a lot that separates them. And you could definitely, you know, convince me, you know, one way or the other that one guy is maybe a little bit better than than other guys. But if you don't have anything else on that, we can move on to the next guy or we can keep talking about this guy. So if you have more, Dame, you, go for it. Yeah. I just, uh, one more question to both of y'all. Do you think out of these three that he has the highest floor? Or is uh, how do y'all how do y'all kind of judge him compared to these three? Because I think he's you know pretty pro ready. I think he could play immediately. Do y'all agree with that, or you know kind of what what are y'all what are y'all's gauge on that? 
I would probably say Jalen Williams has the highest floor, but Rollins is interesting because, like you said, he just has an ability to like sort of create his own shot, get off his own shot. Looking at his numbers, uh, Ambar Torvik, what what's really interesting about him is from the mid-range, 46%, and only 19% of those shots were assisted. So he was basically creating everything in that mid-range area. You pull up the synergy numbers, 90th percentile or 89th percentile in the pick and roll this year. So just having a guard who already knows how to play with pace in the pick and roll and sort of get to his spots, I think is extremely valuable. Uh, I, I do think, though, that like to, to really be pro-ready, probably the the two best things you can have are length and knockdown off-ball shooting. Like, if you're going to be the type of player that an NBA team's going to ignore on the perimeter and they're going to be able to cheat off you, like, immediately that makes me think that you probably aren't quite as pro-ready as some of these other prospects. I think that Rollins is probably the worst spot-up shooter out of these three compared to Jalen Williams and Jaden Hardy. Uh, so... I'm not really ready to say that he's the most pro-ready, though it's certainly possible like he's the best on the ball. It's just the curve for being able to play on the ball in the NBA is so extreme. And especially when you're making the jump from the MAC to the league, uh, that, that's a significant jump in you know what you're seeing. Like you're going against Bowling Green one day and then you're going against Rudy Gobert the next <laughs> yeah. day. You know what I mean? Like that's a that's a pretty tough translation to make. So I could see the argument for it just based on his ability to get his own looks and, you know, flash a little bit of passing creativity too. But to me, like the more NBA ready guy is the guy who's ready to space the floor and play within a team defensive structure. And I'm not sure uh, the floor spacing box is there for him quite yet. I think I would, I would agree with, yeah, mostly what you're saying there. I I don't really have anything to counter anything you say, because I don't really see it too much differently. I think, if you're looking for positives for him as a spot-up shooter, I didn't think, well, first I'll start off with maybe a little bit of a negative. I didn't think he had the best shot prep. He was a little bit stiff off the catch. But one of the things that I did like was he was pretty good from the corners. Now, it wasn't on super high volume. He shot 38.2% on 34 attempts from the corners. I think that's a starting point for him. And as far as like off balls, well, he's a decent cutter. He spent most of his time on the ball at Toledo as their main you know, creator, as their primary scorer. So 12 of 17 on cut on cuts this year. That was the 97th percentile according to Synergy. But again, that's super, super low volume. So I do really like Ryan Rollins here. But again, probably not my favorite guy. So Dame, if you're ready to move on to the next guy, let's go ahead and do it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Jaden Hardy here. I, he's a guy that, for me, uh, after kind of looking at some numbers last night, uh, he actually you know scored similarly to a guy like Jalen Green off the dribble in terms of shooting percentages off the bounce. Uh, he shot you know nearly forty percent on catch to three point shots, about you know one point one four points per possession, uh, and on unguarded three point attempts, Noah he shot fifty two percent. So I think he's a really intriguing prospect. Uh, obviously very comfortable off the bounce as well, you know, very polished in that area just in terms of comfort. But I'd love to get you and uh, Ricky's take on him as a player. Kind of where do you kind of see him? Because he's mocked to the Spurs very often, and especially at 20. So what do y'all think about him? Yeah, I like Jaden Hardy. I don't know. Again, he's like kind of in the middle for me out of these three guys. I could see him as being easily the best shooter of this group long term. You know, he didn't have a ton of movement shot attempts with the G League Ignite, but he did have pretty good percentages off screens, good percentages on spot up, especially like you mentioned, unguarded, uh, really, really like a knockdown guy as far as that goes. I think that there's just a little bit of 
hesitancy for me, I think, on the other end for sure. And then obviously decision making as as a guy who I think was pretty clearly the number one guy for the G League Ignite. I think he over dribbled sometimes on the perimeter, shot early into the shot clock, questionable decision making as a you know, as far as his shot selection goes, didn't finish very well at the rim. That was like kind of my biggest red flag for him. What makes me worried is he's not really a great athlete. Like he got to the rim more often than I expected him to because he doesn't have a great first step either. But I'd have to look at the numbers, but I believe it was sub 50% in the half court at the rim, which is really, really concerning. I just don't know what to make of that. So Ricky, I'll throw it to you because I'm sure you have other thoughts on Jaden Hardy. Yeah, I guess Jaden Hardy sort of minted himself as a top five overall recruit just with his shot-making ability. And if you saw him as a high school player out in Nevada over the last few years, there were so many viral clips of Jaden Hardy hitting, like, you know, basically double step backs (laughs) from NBA range uh, and garnering a lot of attention doing that. So that's why I thought that the G League Ignite was going to be such an interesting experience for him because finally you were going to have some real numbers and some real tape I'm like, okay, this guy's flash plays are pretty incredible, but like, what is his process looking like every time down the floor? And uh, you got to give Jaden Hardy credit because he started the year in pretty brutal fashion with the Ignite. Scoot Henderson, who's a player, you know, a year or two younger than him, sort of emerged as the top prospect on the team. By the end of the year, Dyson Daniels had passed him up. Marjan Bocamp might get drafted before him. And that was all sort of unthinkable coming into this season when Hardy was the guy the G League Ignite was building around. This was their version of Jalen Green from the year before, uh, who's going to be like, you know, the primary guy on this team. And he just struggled quite a bit. I think that part of it is because the Ignite did not have a lot of shooting and spacing around him. And Hardy, you know, for all of his shot-making ability, he's not someone who, like you said, is really going to just, like, power through the defense in a straight line to the basket and finish. To me, the most concerning thing about him, and, you know, judge even going back to my initial big board, uh, which I always release, like, the day after the draft, so most outlets had him as, like, a top two or three overall pick you know, last summer, like at the very start of coming into the year. I had him at 9 or 10, I believe, on my first big board, just because I wondered, you know, the shot making looks good, but sort of what else is he bringing to the table? I was a little bit skeptical uh, in terms of, you know, his all-around game outside of some of the pull-up shooting flashes. And I think that he did have a lot of issues with the Ignite. He finished with more turnovers than assists. Again, playing on a cramped floor uh, and started the year pretty poorly, ended the year well. The last uh, five, six games, Hardy was just sort of coming into his own a little bit. And I think that, you know, you can see a translation for him into the NBA that makes sense. It's like the age of the combo guard right now, you know? It's like bigger (laughs) players, bigger wings start to take on more playmaking duties. A guy like Jaden Hardy uh, just has a little bit more utility because he's no longer counted on to be a primary playmaker. That should never be the case, even when he's playing you know, with the Ignite or even at the high school level. Uh, I don't think he's the guy you really want driving your offense in the half court. But when he doesn't have to make those decisions in the pick and roll, and he can really just play to his strengths as an outside shooter and really someone who can get buckets in like late quarter or late shot clock situations, I think that that's when he could be pretty impressive. So, you know, you're drafting Jaden Hardy to score. The scoring efficiency in the G League was tough. Now, I almost feel like Hardy was done a disservice by Jalen Green a year before because Jalen Green put up way better scoring efficiency numbers for the G League Ignite 
than Hardy did. Uh, and, you know, the fact that Jalen Green was able to go from high school to the G League Ignite in post, I, I don't know what it was off the top of my head, I think like 57% true shooting or something, like above average scoring efficiency right away making that leap. I think that that sort of set a baseline of expectations for what Jaden Hardy's, you know, scoring efficiency and success should look like. Uh, and he just didn't really measure up to that. 48% true shooting. It was much lower than that for the majority of the season. Obviously didn't play a ton of games for the Ignite because their s- schedule is pretty short. Uh, but, you know, the pull-up shot making is going to be the calling card with him. Totally agree with what Noah said. He's just not a super dynamic athlete going to the basket. He's not someone who's going to, you know, be an above-the-rim athlete, I don't think, uh, when going into the paint. So with him, it's like... Is he going to be a knockdown shooter? Is he going to be a self-created knockdown shooter? I think, you know, both of those possible yeses. Uh, and then the other thing you got to sort of factor in is like the opportunity this guy got is sort of a testament to his talent. Like there's so many guys in this class who would have loved to be the dude on the G League Ignite. And yeah. Jaden Hardy got that <laughs> opportunity. Now, you know, it wasn't the best one-year audition, but he also didn't have a lot of shooting and spacing around him, and he just had, like, a, obviously a generally young team around him as well. So I think it wasn't a perfect situation for his individual talent to shine, but there's a reason he was identified as having that talent in the first place, which I think is maybe the best card in his favor uh, combined with the shot making. So I like Hardy. Hardy's a tough guy for me to get a pulse on. Uh, I think that he probably works best next to a team that already has like a big oversized creator. And honestly, DeJounte Murray sort of emerged into that guy for the Spurs last year. Like he, you know, he's not the best at that, but, you know, all-star caliber player, uh, very good shot creator last year for the Spurs. So I think Hardy could play off him a bit. Uh, I'm a little cooler on Hardy than some are. I, I have been since the start of this, just because I wonder... You know, like, what is he What is he getting you that's easy? Everything he gets is, like, yeah. super tough shot making. And, like, that's cool and that's awesome and that works uh, in late shot clock situations and end of quarters. But I just like to see guys get into their stuff with a little bit, you know, a little bit more ease. And I just wonder if Hardy has the ability to do that. So for you, when it comes to San Antonio, do you think taking him at 20 would be a would be a smart move, or would you favor taking Ryan Rollins at 25 instead? That's a question for you and Noah, Noah if you want to start. Um, because that's an interesting point about him playing off DeJounte Murray. I didn't really think about that, uh, but I would love to get your take on it. Yeah, I think, at least for me, I think 20 is fine. Because, again, these guys are 18, 19, and 20 on my big board. So would I take Jaden Hardy at 20? Yeah, I think I would. I'd be willing to bet that he could work. I don't know if he's a guy who, like we talked about it with Ryan Rollins, does he come in right away and make an impact? I don't know. That's not really like how most rookies operate. Most rookies are not going to be very good from the jump. But as Ricky mentioned, with the Spurs having a guy like DeJounte Murray who can create his own offense, I think one of the things that has been really difficult for him was really for most of last season and the season before that, you're working with DeMar DeRozan or Derek White as either your first or second option. And neither of those guys really space the floor very well. And those guys sort of need the ball in their hands to be efficient. Although, you know, Derek has been 
pretty dang good in the finals in the playoffs. He's really yeah. coming to his own after his wife Hannah had, had a kid. Been really good. But um, I, I just feel like Jaden Hardy is a guy who can play off ball. As we mentioned, the, the off-screen shooting, the movement shooting, being able to relocate, being able to be a spot-up threat, being able to shoot in transition. I just think that that's another target that the Spurs are kind of missing. Obviously, you have that a little bit in Doug McDermott, but I'll throw it to Ricky because I'm not – a hundred percent sold that. Yeah. I mean, the Spurs have to take him at 20, but I, I mean, yeah, I think that that's what I want to know. You know, Ricky, would you take him at 20? Is that too early? You know, would you go 25? Would you wait to 38? I can't imagine he would be there at 38, but where would you take him? Where's too early? I think he's a pretty decent upside bet at 20. Like, you know, he's kind of similar to Patrick Baldwin Jr. too. And both of them were like highly touted high school players who sort of disappointed uh, in their next, you know, their next step. Uh, for Hardy the Ignite, for Baldwin playing at a low major league in college. Uh, Baldwin has the injury issues, and Hardy, you know, was mostly healthy for the Ignite. So, uh, yeah, if you're looking for an upside bet at 20, like, there's a few names that stand out to me. I think, like, Nikola Jovic could be a good pick, too. I think Baldwin <laughs> oh, yeah. could be a good pick. Uh, like, those are sort of some of, like, the upside guys. Blake Wesley, probably another one, though. Like, to me, maybe his ideal skill set is a little bit redundant with Murray's. Uh, so I, I do think he's, you know, if you're trying to go for a high upside guy at 20, he's one of the dudes who should gain consideration for that selection. I have I have a quick question about that. This That actually, that comment uh, jogged my memory. When I was at the gym earlier this morning, um, I thought it was interesting how every time now recently, whenever you look at guards that have a lot of, you know, they're long, around 6'5", 6'4", 6'6", uh, a lot of them get comped to DeJounte Murray. Like, I don't know if y'all see that often, but I think a lot of people have, have been doing that recently. What do y'all think about, about DeJounte kind of being the, the kind of the poster of, you know, these longer guards that, you know, can play out of the pick and roll a little bit? What do y'all think about that? Because I thought that was really interesting. That's tough. Um, I think he's pretty unique, DeJounte is, in, in terms of, like, what he brings to the table. I'm not saying he's, like, a superstar or anything like that. Like, he is unique in that his strengths are really... I mean, odd compared to like, you know, he, he's not really a floor spacer. He's not a guy who can pull up off the dribble from three. He's relatively efficient from mid-range, right? He's not like elite from mid-range, but he's up there in terms of his volume is really high from mid-range. He's pretty good at finishing at the rim. I think he has a higher volume of assists than he probably, you know, would otherwise if his usage wasn't so high. You know, fifth in, in touches in the NBA last year. So like, I think... It's, it's hard to compare a lot of guys to DeJounte because I think sometimes when we look at DeJounte, and again, not to take away from him as a player, all-star, can't take that away. I think he's a guy who if you had to trade someone tomorrow, he would not be my first choice. I would like to have him on this roster, but I mean, it's tough. I think sometimes he gets underrated by people who don't know who he is, and I think a lot of times Spurs fans may overrate what he brings to the table. So I don't know. Uh, Ricky, do you have any thoughts on that, You know, him being comp to other players? Because I just don't see a lot of guys who I think – uh, really stack up to him in terms of their skill set. To me, it's like you give him the you get the Jante Murray comp. If you show some ability to create your own look, you're not a knockdown shooter, and you have plus length on the perimeter. So, you know, yeah. I think like if you're a guard who can't shoot but you're fast, you got a quick first step. Jante Murray is sort of an easy comp for a lot of guys. <laughs> is it an accurate comp? I'm not so sure about that because. Murray plays with quite a bit of funk and has a pretty difficult game to replicate, I think, on both ends of the floor. But, you know, someone like Blake Wesley, uh, 
you know, like exactly. maybe his ideal outcome could be something similar to what Murray's been uh, with the Spurs. So uh, it's it, it's a decent it's a decent comp for guards who you know come into the league with shooting question marks. Yeah, and you know, a, a guard here that has you know that we're gonna talk about now with the crazy ring span, right? Really long, around six five, six six. Jalen Williams, uh, someone that I watched a little bit of last night as well. And I, one thing for me, guys, that stood out was just his ability to really put teams in the crock pot as a pick and roll passer. I thought I think out of out of these three, he's the best pick and roll player. And I would love to kind of get y'all's thoughts on him because the Spurs run a lot of pick and roll. This guy seems like someone that can fit in at the snap of a finger and and run their offense, whether it's on the second unit, how uh, and whatever role they need for him. I think he's an excellent passer, and I think you know San Antonio. It does make sense for them at twenty as well. But you know, Noah, what do you think about? Uh, Jalen Williams, you think at 20 he makes a lot of sense. You know, what do you think? Personally, I don't think he's going to be there. I kind of think he's going to be off the board by the time we get to 20. I don't have a ton of intel, but from the intel that I have, he's impressed in workouts and there are teams that pick earlier than the Spurs. Like, he's, you're probably not going to take him nine if you're the Spurs, but he's probably not going to be there at 20. But I do like him a lot. I, I agree with what you're saying. I think he's a really good passer out of the pick and roll. Clearly ambidextrous in that regard, you know, can hit guys with pocket pass and hit the roll man over the top. He has the length to kind of get some funky deliveries off, you know, like wraparounds, shovel passes, uh, fits passes through really tight windows. So I really like him. I also think he's probably the best, in my opinion, in terms of scoring out of the pick and roll, just the best out of the pick and roll of these three guys. But yeah, it's tough. I don't know that he's going to be there. So I saw him at the combine. I was at the combine in Chicago for a couple days. I think he was probably the biggest winner of the combine. Uh, watched him in every scrimmage he played. You know, the combine is such a cool event because it's basically like everyone in the league is just like hanging out at the combine. I talked to <laughs> Rob Polinka in the stands a little bit when I was there, for example. And another guy I talked to in the stands was Herb Sendak, who was his college coach at Santa Clara. Herb Sendak also coached James Harden at Arizona State way back in the day. And talking to Herb about him, he was like, you know, this guy basically has everything the NBA is looking for. He just didn't have the pedigree coming into this season that typically gets you on NBA radars. So th there, there's a lot here. But I guess, like, the first thing you need to know about him is the dude's, like, 6'6 or whatever with, like, a 7'2 wingspan. He has one of the largest gaps between his height and his length of any player in this draft. Uh, as Damian mentioned earlier, super comfortable in the pick and roll. Uh, that was something that really took off for him as a junior at Santa Clara, played primarily more on the ball and was just electric in those opportunities this year. I just pulled up the synergy numbers. He was 87th percentile as a pick and roll ball handler. Also in the 97th percentile as a spot up shooter. He's a guy who shoots a very easy, comfortable ball. I think he's got range out to three. It's funny, if you watch him shoot, he like doesn't jump when he shoots. It's very much like a <laughs> low lift jump shot. But his arms are so long, and usually when guys have that much length to them, I think like there's just too many moving parts to be a great shooter. Obviously, someone like Kevin Durant is the exception to the rule. But you know, you think about some great shooters: Steph Curry, JJ Redick, uh, even Kevin Love. All those guys have like uh, either negative wingspans or like plus one, plus two <laughs> wingspans. So this guy having like a plus nine wingspan between his height without his shoes and his length is pretty remarkable to be this good of a shooter. So that's sort of where the hype comes from. It's a guy who can operate in the pick and roll, has ridiculous length, and you know potentially can be a very, very good shooter, both on spot-ups and on pull-ups in the NBA. Now, my question with him, watching him 
in the scrimmages for two days is does he pass the threshold for just athleticism for a guard? Now, he can jump. I think he had a 39-inch vertical jump. If yeah. you could see him go into the basket, like as a two-footed leaper, he gets up. I don't think he's very quick. And I just wonder, like, will the pick-and-roll creation stuff work when you're pretty slow? Like, I mean, let's be honest. There's a reason this dude was a three-year player in the WCC, right? Like, Clearly, he has some athletic limitations, and that's probably what prevented him from, uh, you know, just being a more sought-after prospect in the first place, whether it's in high school or, you know, his first few years of college. So, statistically, he looks awesome. You love the frame. You love the length. I think he's pretty slow. And, you know, the guy I come back to on this, and I like Jalen Williams. This is going to sound like a huge insult, but it (laughs) reminds me a little bit of Denzel Valentine who was a killer pick-and-roll creator and a very good shooter coming out of Michigan State. He didn't have a 7-2 wingspan, but he had a plus length. I think he was like a 6-10 wingspan type of guy. And Denzel Valentine was just so slow in the NBA. It's like, oh, this creation ability you showed in the Big Ten was never going to really translate to the league because he just couldn't create those advantages. So that's my big question on Jalen Williams. Is he going to be able to consistently create advantage or even occasionally? create advantages off the bounce in the NBA. But, like, when you got that type of length and he has the versatility to play on or off the ball because he's a very good shooter, that's what makes him intriguing to me, and he can jump. So, like, that has utility around the rim, too, in terms of, like, you know, how you're going to deploy him defensively. Uh, I like Jalen Williams. I tend to agree with you. I don't think he's going to be there at 20. Uh, he, he fits for a lot of teams because everyone needs wing depth, everyone needs shooting, and everyone wants length on the perimeter. And he checks all those boxes. So super interesting prospect. Just my eye test told me this guy is slow. He's not quick at all. And, you know, reasonable minds can disagree on that. If you guys watch tape and you think, like, oh, I don't think he looks, like, noticeably slow. To me, that's what I thought watching him in the combine. But certainly, like, you love the measurements, you love some of the statistical boxes he checks, and... Uh, I'm pretty in on him in general. Like, I think it's it's a gamble worth taking just because you don't see that many guys who are so excellent in both pick-and-roll playmaking and spot-up shooting. And with that type of length, I think it makes it a worthy gamble. Yeah, I don't think he's... Oh, go ahead, Dame. Yeah, so here, so here's something that's interesting. So Noah and I, Ricky, Noah and I have uh, talked a little bit about Osman Jang recently, right? And Noah believes that you'd have to trade up for him, you know, hypothetically, if the Spurs wanted to get him. And you guys both agree that 20, Jalen Williams, might not be there. So if you were, let's play a game of Would You Rather. Let's, let's say you have Jalen Williams and Osman Jang right there to trade up for if you're the San Antonio Spurs. Who would you rather trade up for if you were San Antonio? I'm going Jang. I, I think he has clearly has a higher upside. I don't know that he's going to – again, he's, we've talked about him on the podcast. He's not a guy who you expect to come in right away and help you in any way. He probably will be a, a net negative in a lot of ways, but – I'm going with Jang. I mean, he, not only does he fit positionally, like a, a need that you have, but um, I just think the upside is higher. But that's just me. Yeah, I'd go Jang, but to me, he's he might be the biggest boomer bust guy in the class. Like, I could see him not being able to cut it in the league for sure. Now, he's another guy who, like Hardy, got much better as the season went on. He was playing in the NBL. 
uh, over in Australia. And, you know, he was already on the map as a prospect in France, just like shining in youth competitions. Got a lot of the tools you look for. And, you know, I'm doing a piece on Shaden Sharp today. I don't know how you guys feel about him at nine. but like, <laughs> Love him. Love him. To me, yeah, like, I'd be fine Shaden, with that as well. Yeah. Shaden Sharp is just a bet on tools, right? Like, this guy has things that you can't teach. And you take him as sort of like a ball of clay. And, like, those tools can manifest themselves in plenty of different ways. Andrew Wiggins is actually a good example of this. Andrew Wiggins was another guy who's, like, he's a tools bet. Six foot eight, lean, jumps out of the gym, long. Take this guy. You know, you can see why he would be the number one overall pick, number one overall recruit, just based off those tools. Well, he gets into a primary scoring role, and, like, that was not the best fit for his skill set. Everyone ready to call Wiggins a bust, someone who was a massive disappointment, especially compared to his pre-NBA hype. But now look at him. Like, basically, he can only have this level of impact on the Warriors in this role, which is like a wing stopper and just like secondary score, because he has the tools to do it. So like those, the tools can really lead you down any different number of career paths. And I think like Jang has just probably better tools in general than Jalen Williams. So... I would go Jang in that, but, uh, you know, to me, he's boomer bust. So if, if you want to roll the dice on some high upside, try to get, you know, a tall kid who has perimeter skills who can shoot, I think he's a yeah. worthy gamble. But uh, the team that drafts him is going to have to be really patient. Yeah, and I'm, I'm a tools guy. I'm a ball of, ball of clay kind of guy. Uh, I've covered the NFL draft the last <laughs> couple of years, went to Mobile uh, this year for the Senior Bowl. I was a Malik Willis guy. I was a Trey Lance guy the year before. So I'm fine with tools. I'm fine with traits. And I would agree with y'all. I think Jang would be an exceptional pick. And he's someone that I jokingly say the Spurs will take at nine, half joking, half serious. Like, you know, we'll see, right? We'll see. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I agree everything uh, that y'all said about Jalen Williams, especially as an athlete. I feel like he understands his limitations as an athlete, and it's kind of helped him become, like, a, a well-rounded kind of player. Um, you know, he's never going to be an explosive kind of athlete. He doesn't have this crazy burst or anything like that. But he understands how to play with pace. And like I mentioned, I'm very biased uh, towards players. I know how to do that. So uh, I, I like him as a player. And I think, uh, I believe you said earlier that he had the highest floor out of everyone here. I believe Ricky said that. And uh, I, 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 could, I could see the argument for that as well. Yeah. I think he's probably the most NBA ready out of these guys. I can see his tools in terms of his length. I think he'll probably be able to guard two, three, maybe some small ball fours in the NBA. And again, like the, the pick and roll efficiency is one of those things that I, I would bet on. I think there were some moments where you look at him and he, you're right, he didn't create a ton of separation off straight line drives. Like when he was getting into a shot in the mid-range, sometimes he would just, you know, drive hard, bump a guy, and that would be his move to get into his mid-range shot. And that didn't always work out. Sometimes he got some of his mid-range shots blocked, but he was crafty, as you mentioned. You know, he's got a a lot of shiftiness to his game. He's a guy who's got a pretty refined handle. He was able to really use those screens to get guys trapped on his back. And he has a really good floater as well. I believe he shot 50% on floaters on more than 50 attempts this season. So a guy who, you know, if, if he does fall to the Spurs at 20, I think you can't say no. I think if he's there at 20, which again, I don't think anybody thinks he will be, but if he is, he's a guy who I think you have to take at 20. But that's I mean, that's all three of our guys, Dame. Unless you have more questions about these three guys, we can move into the last part of the podcast here. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and kick it off, brother. Yeah, so as we close things out here, um, you know, Ricky is one of the head honcho guys, writers at SB Nation. 
He does a lot of really good stuff for them, a lot of really good writing. He has some sources there. He's very clearly, you know, plugged in watching tape. But I think for us, before we let you go, we just kind of want to get your insight on any intel you might have on how the Spurs are maybe planning to go about this draft. You know, Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report and our last guest, Rafael Barlow, both reported that San Antonio is interested in a big man at nine and that they're also unlikely to keep all of their picks. So if you can, if you're comfortable, what have you heard around what the Spurs are thinking about or or not just in terms of their picks at nine or 20, but do they want to keep all those picks? What have you heard? I haven't really heard anything concrete on this in this time of year. I think, you know, you're going to hear differing reports uh, from people. But, yeah, like, do the Spurs really want it, what they have four top 35 picks? Is that correct? Uh, or top 38 picks, I guess. So, like, are they really going to have four rookies on the roster next year? Seems probably unlikely, uh, especially because, like, while they're not, like, super close to competing, I don't, like, they're not in a full rebuild mode either. No, we've talked about this in previous yeah. <laughs> years, like, whether or not you think that that would really be the best route for the franchise. But I like the idea of, like, having that many picks in the draft and just taking flyers on guys. And, like, uh, you know, we, there's a theory or, like, a school of thought in the draft that, like, just having more picks is the best thing you can do because it's all a crapshoot anyway. So just like, you know, take your chances <laughs> on these guys and see who ultimately pans out. It's why, you know, in the NFL draft, as Dame probably knows, like, you'd rather trade down than trade up. Usually. Exactly. Uh, exactly. As a Bears fan, I can tell you when Ryan Pace was this <laughs> guy, it was a disaster. Like, trade back, get more picks, take more bites at the apple, see what works out. So in terms of intel, I don't have a ton of intel. Uh, I would not be surprised if they did make a move uh, for someone. I think what they do at nine is going to be really fascinating because I love Jalen Duran, but Jakob Pertle is really good too. It's like, are they going to move off Pertle? What can you get for Pertle? He, you know, if you're trading him to a contender that needs help in the middle, hypothetically, like you should be able to get some pretty good assets for him, I would think. I love Duran. I think Duran, uh, you know, could be one of the five best players in this draft when it's all said and done. So, you know, if San Antonio could get Dern, I'd really like that pick for them at number nine. But, uh, you know, a lot of this draft outside of the top four is very much in the eye of the beholder. And however it's going to shake out, it's going to be fascinating. So I don't know what San Antonio is thinking coming into this. Obviously, the Spurs shocked everyone by taking Josh Primo so early in the draft last year. We'll see how that pans out. But that pick just lets you know, like, this is a hard franchise to, to get a pulse on. And, you know, with four picks in the top 38, I wouldn't be surprised if they did something to, to really shake it up. Yeah, like so shake it up like take Osman Jang at nine, right? That would really shake everything up. <laughs> Noah, Noah, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wish, I mean, honestly, yeah, I wish I knew a little bit more than I do. But they are, you know, they're very tight to the vest with everything. They don't really, you know, talk about anything. They're not that willing to confirm anything. So, you know, we get what we can. We try to figure out what we can. We know who they've worked out. But last year, again, like they worked out over 70 guys last year. You know, only 60 guys are drafted. This year, they've already upped that number, confirmed at least to 45 through this part of the process. So are they going to draft every single one of those guys? No. So like there's just it's hard to tell what they're going to do. But based off of last year with the Josh Primo pick, anything could happen. I suppose Osman Dieng could go nine. Uh, personally, I would have gone Jalen Duren, depending on who's there at nine. I just did a mock draft where they brought in, you know, beat writers from every different 
you know, like market. And I did this with uh, KJ Wright, who covers the Memphis Grizzlies. And I want Jalen Duran at nine. I mean, there were other guys on the board. Johnny Davis was still there. Uh, I believe Jeremy Soham was still there. But at the end of the day, I think I was happy with Jalen Duran. I don't know what they're going to do with Jakob going forward. This is the last year of his contract, so they're going to have to re-sign him. Who knows how much that's going to cost? What can you get for him? You know, we know last year the Hornets were interested in acquiring his services. The Bulls were interested in him. So were the Raptors. So, like, you know, I, I don't know what his value is, but I would assume, like Ricky said, you might be able to get something back. And if you're, you know, rebuilding... I think that thrusts Jalen into a starting role, regardless if he's ready for that or not. But it would be interesting to see a guy kind of thrown into the fire because we haven't seen a guy really thrown into the fire as a rookie for the Spurs since, I don't know, Kawhi Leonard. I wouldn't even consider Devin Vassell thrown into the fire because he didn't have that big of a role as a rookie. Uh, I just saw the the Ringer mock draft released today by Kevin O'Connor. had Jane <laughs> going number nine. So Yeah. So it could happen. You never know. You never. I mean, you never. You absolutely never know. But Damon, unless you have any other questions for Ricky, I don't want to take too much more of his time. Yeah. No. That this was awesome. I appreciate uh, you for stopping by, Ricky. It was really fun having you on, uh, especially you know, you know, just teaching us everything. Kind of from picking your brain. I just I enjoyed it, man. So uh, thanks for chopping it up with us. Why don't you go ahead and kind of plug anything you want? Let the Spurs fans know where they can follow you on social media and where they can find all your content. Yeah, I got all my stuff at SBNation.com. Uh, last week I did a big breakdown of Jaden Ivey's game, likely top five pick, obviously. Love Jaden Ivey. I got him number three overall, so I did like a big comprehensive breakdown of him. I did a feature on Patrick Baldwin Jr. I talked to him before the season started and then talked to him again at the draft combine. So put all, all that reporting into one story and uh, did a thing on him. I think he could potentially be a pick for the Spurs at either 20 or 25. And... Yeah, I mean the draft is approaching so quickly. I'm uh, I'm I'm working on a few other draft related things, but it's going to be a sprint right now uh, until the draft starts. So <laughs> should be fun. It's a fun class to cover, and uh, yeah, you can find all my work at SBNation.com. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us, and thanks to everybody who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got an amazing staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who keep everybody up to date with their favorite team, so check our stuff out. But before we let you go, Dame, go ahead and let people know where they can find you. I'll let them know where they can find me afterwards, and then we'll close this out for good. Yeah, just go ahead and follow me on Twitter, y'all, at D-A Bartonic. That's at D-A-B-A-R-T-O-N-E-K. Uh, I just joined the Ken's five staff for the summer here. Going to be working on great day essay. That's going to be pretty dope. Uh, a lot of stuff for pounding the rock still coming out. A lot of stuff for hogs Haven coming out. Uh, shout out to SB nation because, uh, I was actually asked in the interview about that stuff. So shout out to SB nation for, you know, giving me an opportunity fan sided all that because it all, it's, it's starting to pay off a little bit, right? Just a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man, thanks for coming on again, Ricky. Thanks Noah for having me and, uh, SB nation. Let me work with Ariel Hawani once. <laughs> That's a dream of mine. Yeah, thank you, Dame. And you can also find me at N underscore Magaro, M-A-G-A-R-O on Twitter. Dame and I are both at Pounding the Rock. You can find our Spurs content for SB Nation there. But that about does it for this week. Until next time, Spurs fans, take care.